combination of gearheads, John the instigator, Derek the conservative, Will the builder, Sean the racer, and maybe a guest invite you to listen while we sit down, have a drink, and discuss cars. More subscribe to the podcast with no driving gloves. Time now for the ride. Hey, everybody. Like the intro says now, I don't have to tell you. It's no driving gloves. Kind of a impromptu session here. We've got Sean thrown in the mix. I know our recordings been a, our releases have been a little sporadic the last weeks. Uh, totally my bad, my fault. Uh, the guys have been working their butts off, and uh, I've been. Uh, uh, it's my turn to be buried beyond belief. Uh, so, no, it's our turn now. We got a, you know, we we got a couple of uh, we got a couple to get out to you. We'll be back hopefully starting next week. Uh, we'll be back on our regular. Regular release schedule. You've got another one. You got one coming from Derek and I talking about how we should begin streaming here, probably by October, maybe um, in October. Uh, we're doing some testing with it right now. This is the second episode we've tried uh, with the streaming test. Too bad you can't see it, but we do have the video and stuff. Sean, I hear you've been just lazing around the house doing nothing, and you know, ducking yeah. Derek and I when we're recording and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, actually, um, if I'm being completely honest, which you know I'd like to think I normally am, this week I actually did duck you. I was around the house, but I was around the house just with my head in my hands trying to figure out shipping issues and and yeah, oh, oh. I'm not going to get into it. I mean, it does have to do with transportation. It has to do with putting large boxes on. 18 wheelers and shipping them from Birmingham, Alabama, all, all over the country. But, um, I don't really want to get into it. Cause if you don't have anything nice to say, you probably shouldn't say it. So yeah, I'm I, not going to say I it. taught, taught Sean, I taught, taught, well, excuse me. I taught Sean a new term before the uh, episode. Yes, here she, and, yes, she did. Uh, <laughs> yes, she did. Left. And what's really <laughs> annoying to me about that is I have three shipping companies, three ship. Hang on three, wait, wait, there are three shipping companies that I have been talking to nonstop for the last month. And none of them have brought up that term. None. I of think them. I would, I would ask him your shipping agent. I think, I mean, like I said, they're probably quoting you because they can get you in with a lower number, but now, now you've got a question to ask them. Yeah, but getting you in with a lower number and then having like when it when the the goods actually get to the destination and all of a sudden you get a bill for three times what what it's supposed to be and then you look on the bill and and it's like your 80 pound box is now a 290 pound box and nothing changed from the time it left your business to the time it got to where it, I was I literally asked them I was like did it get rained on like a lot is <laughs> what, like what, what has happened to, well, you see you, you shipped rabbits and they reproduced <laughs> over the right. week and a half. <laughs> right. Cause aluminum tends to, to swell in shipment for some reason. I, there, it's literally just boxes full of aluminum. That's not going to get any bigger or, or smaller um, going from Birmingham to, to California. In Oklahoma, 
It's just, it's really weird. It's really weird. I, we could go on about this for a long time, but I don't think this is really what we want to talk about today, is it? Say, but aluminum gets hot and it grows just a little bit. I mean, there was what that bridge a couple of years ago in Chicago that it was so hot in Illinois or in the Chicago area that it had grown so much they had to f- put fire hoses so that it would shrink so boats could go back under it or something like that. I really don't believe it, but there's video of them the Chicago fire department hosing down a bridge that was supposedly too hot, you know, you know, how, how much dimensional change you have to have. Yeah. I can't, I mean, it's not like the, the, was it the Verrazano narrows bridge that, that was that, that wavy thing that, that would, well, that, that was a whole different, that would, that would be you failing and building your pallet that you put the aluminum on. I didn't even put them on pallets. I was told I didn't have to. No pallets, just boxes. Oh, you, you have the, you've got the happiest UPS men in the world or FedEx men or truckers. We, uh, I think I know who you shipped it with, but we're not going to throw any shippers under the bus. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's not. Let's, um, let's throw some car companies under the bus or question some car companies' uh, actions. That's kind of why we're here. I think that's why we're here. Uh, yeah. I think we're here to talk cars as opposed to the shipping, but it, like you said, it's transportation. We get car parts shipped and things. It is. I mean, it on that note, that uh, uh, one of my Facebook friends who owns a uh, hot rod shop uh, actually did some work on Zara's car before we owned it. Uh, he, he, he's, his shop's open for business. Bay doors open to the world. Door to the office section of the business unlocked. The UPS man actually pulled up, stopped, put a sticker on the door that said, you must be here to receive package and left. <laughs> That's perfect. It, it's, it's funny, but when I worked at the museum, oh stated hours, 150,000 square foot building, shipping doors, loading bays, front doors, huge parking lot full of cars. I would say once a month, the UPS guy or some trucking company shipper would say, Nobody was there. <laughs> yeah. Literally beyond a lie. Yeah. <laughs> and what doesn't make any sense about that is it's not like they, they wrote that letter and then from 23 miles away, like threw it up in the air and it magically like homing pigeoned to the front door or the delivery door of the museum. They were there. They were right there. And for whatever reason, chose to not give you your stuff. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. Uh, and I don't see where it helps the UPS guy because he's got to come back tomorrow. Right. <laughs> right. I. Uh, and I assume the office door will be unlocked. The bay doors will be open. It'll be the same situation. I, I don't I, understand it. Um, you know, know, I guess we'll have to talk to Dale Jarrett. Didn't he drive the really fast big brown truck or something yeah, five years I, I ago? Just, I want to race the truck. I still want to race the truck. I'd race the truck. Um, let's talk so, about something else because I'm just yeah. going to sit here and my blood pressure is just going to keep going up. So I've talked about it in the past. And before Stellantis came into being, I can't FCA say, I still can't say that. Po- throughout all these ideas that they were going to merge with Toyota, they were going to merge with General Motors, they were going to merge with Ford, you know, name it. FCA was going to merge with them, and I guess Peugeot was 
was it Pujo? Yeah, Pujo, yeah. who they ended up merging with. And we'll, we'll get onto that. And if we all remember about two years ago, Ford made an announcement. We're no longer building cars. We're only going to build trucks. And everybody goes, what are you thinking? What are you going to sell? And General Motors, at the same time Ford did that, actually said the same thing. But they said it in a different way. They didn't say, we're not going to build any trucks. We're just not going to build any more cars. Or we're not, we're not going to build only trucks. We're just not going to build cars. And we're going to slowly phase them out. And then this piece of news dropped on September 2nd or 3rd. Uh, General Motors and Honda plan an allegiance to share platforms. So this goes back to maybe FCA was really serious with General Motors. Maybe there's stuff that goes on behind the line or behind the scenes. Because what I'm seeing, General Motors and Honda are merging technologies on a ton of things here. But what it's looking like in a couple of the articles I've read, General Motors is only going to build trucks, but they're going to sell rebadged Hondas. You know, Honda really doesn't sell a truck, Ridgeline excluded. Uh, couple, you know, they've got a couple of SUVs. But there's, you know, if you look at the, what do you think, Sean? If you look at the roads now, are there a lot of the new Civics and uh, Accords out there? I think Accord's the second best-selling car in the uh, country right yeah, now, or in the U.S. I mean, there's a, there's a ton of Civics and Accords, but what are you going to do? Are you going to rebadge? What would the Civic would be a not an Impala? Chevette. The Accord would well, be the Honda Fit would be a Chevette. Yeah, the Accord would be an Impala. The the Civic could be a, um, a Malibu. Yeah, a Malibu. Malibu, or the uh, Accord could be a Caprice. And, and I'm looking at here is yeah. General Motors isn't going to do it. Ford is sliding some shells behind the behind the curtain, and they're kind of partnering with a few people. And Ford is partnering with Volkswagen yes. Group on autonomous uh, that was it auto- autonomous commercial vehicles, I think, and EVs. Well, that's that's not a speculation. That's right. happening. We're going to see four conglomerates, basically. We're going to see three to four conglomerates of every make on the on the planet. I, I can't figure out who Toyota's jumping into, excuse me, jumping into bed with. But, uh, you know, uh, Mazda and Nissan are working really close together now, now that Ford's kind of cut their ties with Mazda. Uh, and FCA has cut their ties with Nissan. So it kind of left those two out in the lurch. Toyota seems to be playing with everybody. Is they're playing with Subaru? They're playing with BMW, uh, but you know that's sticking strictly in the car game. And I believe there's something else Toyota's partnering with uh, BMW on. If I'm not mistaken, I believe they have another car coming. It could be the BR, BRZ uh, FRS replacement and disposing of uh, Subaru in that mix. You yeah. get General Motors and Honda. GM and Honda, it, from a global perspective, from a business perspective, I completely and totally understand why they're doing it. It feels weird just because it's GM and Honda. It's it's the North American or the American automotive manufacturer. Whether you know whether you're a, a GM fan or not, they have been the largest automotive manufacturer in the United States 
forever and ever, if I'm not mistaken. And it just, it seems to me like they're, you know, when you think about North American automotive manufacturing, of course there's Ford and Dodge and Chrysler and Plymouth and Mercury and Link- you could go down the line, but GM has always been the biggest in, in my mind, anyway, I could be completely wrong. I've been wrong at least twice in my life. But GM... Well, shipping, Parker, shipping Matters is one of them. I'm not wrong about Shipping Matters, John. I'm just frustrated with Shipping Matters because I'm new to it. Uh, <laughs> I, I have been fed incorrect information. No, but it's I, it just feels weird um, saying GM and Honda are going to partner. It feels strange. I go back to the 70s, and GM was the epitome of low quality. No offense, GM, but you were. And American cars in general were not the quality. And now, all of a sudden, and Honda has you know, brought out the, the quality in things. I mean, look at what the NSX did to the uh, supercar game and the hypercar game. Is Granted, the new NSX is kind of blasé, but the old one changed the game. And their cars did that in the early eighties to the, the market, them and combined with Toyota. And it, that's where I see the, you know, I still have, I like Honda ergonomics. I hate um, general motors um, in, in the way you know, I can't stand dashboard layouts, button feel any of that stuff when I'm sitting in the cars. It's one of the reasons I don't drive GM cars. I, you know, they just don't fit me. And I'm, I'm just having a hard time wrapping my head around the, the quality, the comfort, the the whole, the whole idea. And yeah, it's platforms. So, you know, we, we'll get the basic unibody structure. We'll change some body panels and put different dashboards and everything in them. And they'll, they'll probably be distinctly different vehicles. Yeah, but yeah, I'm having a tough time. I'm having a tough time with that one, as I think some of our respondents on Facebook did when I made the post and uh, some of the conversations I've had since then that, a lot of people are going, wait. Uh, but then again, I'm only talking to people my age. I wonder what the uh, 20-somethings out there think and the 30-somethings. I, I mean, they just want a reliable car for the most I mean, most people just want a reliable car for the most part. They want an appliance. They don't – obviously, we're, we're talking to enthusiasts on this program, and we are enthusiasts, all of us that are involved from from a host and uh, host perspective on No Driving Gloves we're vehicular enthusiasts. So we want to see the, we want to see the, the, the low volume vehicles that with the, you know, bonkers performance and just innovative stuff is I think what, what all of us want to see uh, when you're talking quality though, and you're, you're talking quality in Honda, you're talking more quality with regard to reliability, right? We're not talking, material surfaces and and you know touch points and things of that nature are you or are are because i don't i don't i don't particularly when i get in a honda and i put my hand on the center console i've never gone oh that's nice i've always kind of gone oh that's plasticky um so is it a reliability thing or i think there's the honda of what i always say the late 80s early 90s and there's the honda of today I will say the Honda of today has slipped more. The Honda of today has slipped down a little bit and the GM of yesterday has come up a little bit, but I don't think we have the inferior quality of the general motors of the seventies anymore, but I don't think Honda has the quality of the Honda. Um, 
that they used to have. So I think they've kind of met there. Yeah, I, right now, you know, right now I won't say I th- I think highly of Honda's on reliability. I don't think in of a, everything you said. Paint finish is horrible. Um, panel gaps can be questionable. Uh, the materials are bought, you know, buy it from the lowest bidder, not necessarily quality. They just, you know, throw it, you know, oh, it's a leather wrapped steering wheel and, you know, whatever the Naga vinyl hybrid animal that we created um, to do the, the fake leather, leather-esque seating surfaces in that. It's, Honda of today is not the Honda of the, you know, the Accords and the CRXs and the Civics and that, that I remember from, what is it, 30 years ago now, 35 years ago. So back then I was a little bit impressed, but I was also new to the car game. And, you know, I hadn't experienced Rolls-Royce and Bentley, which is the opposite end of the spectrum there. Yeah. I, I so, just, yeah. I, I'm, th- I'm talking Honda of the Honda in John's memory, not necessarily the Honda that exists in the world gotcha. yesterday or the day before. Gotcha. So, I mean, we're, we're talking about a, a platform sharing deal between GM and Honda. Um, I wonder if that means you're going to see like a, a Silverado turned into a proper truck for Honda or I, you know, it's, it's, we can sit here and speculate on where they're going to go with it. Um, I would imagine Honda really wants to, to pick the, the bolt and the volt parts bin dry. I would think. Cause you haven't really heard much about Honda and, and EV you've heard Honda had the hydrogen car and I know they're developing EV stuff, but the bolt and the volt are actually pretty damn nice cars. Remember, Honda played that game early on. They, you know, they had the Insight back in 2000. They had the CRZ, which was, you know, hybrid. They have the yeah. Insight now that people forget exists. Yeah. Uh, so they, they're they're dabbling in the game, but I do think that they want they want to look at some of the General Motors stuff, which you know, of course, jumps into a headline from what was that I saw three days ago, four days ago that. Um, now that we have the mid-engine Corvette and it's in production and hopefully the frunks aren't popping open at high speeds or on the interstate. Yeah, that would be bad. Uh, a couple of the C8 owners I know have said, it's not the car's problem. It's where you put the dang trunk release button. But I would think there's some sort of interrupt that your frunk's not going to pop open because you hit the interior release button. I mean, my Fusion, you can't open the trunk if the thing's in drive. But... Um, they, going back to it, the uh, Corvette's chief, chief engineer is leaving his role to head up the new uh, General Motors electronic and autonomous programs, which to me kind of makes sense because we've already talked a little bit about the hybrid potential ZR1 and stuff from the C8. But the, them sliding over, you know, taking their special teams and putting it over there and Honda coming in with. Um, I guess the new NSX you could even throw into that hybrid with its, you know, three motor layout type thing to help it function and drive and handle. Um, you know, there could be something to that, but I would have thought that Honda could have jumped in and bought another company, um, a smaller EV, you know, an upstart, you know, a, a wannabe Tesla competitor. Um, think about it. Yeah, the the Volt and the Bolt are highly developed production cars, but would the old Fisker 
possibly have a lot of the same technologies and such that you could have bought. <laughs> I don't think you can talk about Fisker and in, in, in a high volume production light. There's no way we can bring Fisker into that. Um, Fisker was nothing but problems. And, and, and Honda has the, um, don't they have the Honda E or something coming out at least in the Japanese market? I don't know about the U.S. market, but you talking about the, the little they, Civic, the little Civic looking thing, the CVCC no, looking. No, well, that, I guess cool. you could say that's CVCC. Really cool. I'm thinking um, more Dodge Omni Horizon four door looking like thing. Yeah, it kind, kind of. Yeah, but it's got a little CVCC feel to it. I dig that little thing. It's cool. I, I wish it was a hybrid. Um, I still don't see EVs as viable for me on a daily basis, but I, I kind of wish they were. Um, well, for the way I live but, now, I'd love to have an EV. <laughs> if we, I, I, I don't believe this return to normal is ever going to happen. I think we're already seeing kind of the return to normal. And yeah, I probably could definitely live with an EV. I, you know, I played with the idea of buying a Volt a couple of years ago. And, yeah, I know you did. I know you but, did. I, I'd like to drive one. I'd really, I'd, I would like to drive one. I'd, I've never driven one. Have you actually went out and test driven, didn't you? I test drove them. Um, I drove uh, a few of the early models um, uh, through, I guess, Alabama Power and that. So, yeah, I've driven yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But going back to your quality fit and finish and interior feels, it's a $40,000, $20,000 Chevrolet Malibu when it comes down to it, you know. For forty grand, you can buy a much nicer car, and that might have been what the problem was with the Volt. Is you can get a nicer feeling interior car if you stay all internal combustion. But once they started, at, you look at it, at the time, you could look at a year old Volt, Volt and get ten or twelve thousand dollars off of it. It became a a viable alternative. But do you still get the? Uh, What's the tax break on those? And I've always wondered, like, you, you see these tax incentives, like federal tax incentives of $7,500 or $10,000. And what is the actual return into the buyer's pocket on that? I mean, it's it's not like you just get $7,500 off the sticker price. It's, well, what, how, actually, does that, how does that actually work? The way I understand it, and there's a lot of things to jump through. Like if you go buy a Tesla right now, I don't think you get anything because they've met their maximum. There's so many rebates available per manufacturer per year. Right. And you've got to be able, and when they hit 50% of that, the money drops. When you hit 25% of that, the money drops. When you hit 100% of it, the money goes away. And then it's also dependent on the size of the battery pack and things like that. But let's say best case scenario, um, I think 7500 was pretty much the maximum national rebate. I mean, California throws some extra money on. A lot of states throw some extra money on top of it. But if you were buying it in Alabama, you got $7,500 tax credit, which means when I sit down to do my taxes next year, I take my yearly income, I deduct the standard deduction, whatever that is now, $12,500, $17,500. The accountant does that stuff. Then the next thing, they take another... $7,500. Well, no, I want to say they, I thought they took another $7,500 off my income. What had been explained to me is that when we get down to the bottom line and it says I owe $9,000 more to the government, I can take $7,500 off of that. 
Well, I'm somebody who does really good and watches my taxes and my withholdings every year. And very rarely have I had to pay more than $100 or get a refund of more than $100. If you get a refund, you see zero money out of that $7,500. If I got a 2,000, if I owed 2,000, I can write off that I don't have to pay that 2,000 is how it ended up being said to me. So yeah, it's actual cash in your pocket, but you better be able to play the accounting game long enough that you can see that 7,500. If, you know, if I was to buy the car December 22nd, there's no way I'm going to go be able to go back. But if I was to buy the car in May, you could with you could adjust your withholdings and such so that at the end of the year, maybe you would owe 7,500 and you could see that go away. And that's really $7,500 in your pocket. But no, not at any single time are you going to get a check in the mail for $7,500. Yeah. So that's, it's semantic. It, it, it's all paper. It's all paper money. It's not, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like what the uh, shipping companies are doing to me right now. <laughs> it's literally, they just, they, they throw that out there because it looks good. Most people will, yep. won't be able to take advantage of that at all. Um, you know, I, I looked at the 500E when the, when Fiat first came out with the 500E and I was like, man, that'd be a cool little, cool little commuter. And then I realized that it was only a, had a 90 mile range and I'm like, oh, that's well, see, that the 500E really work, still, but. as much as I hate Fiat, um, the 500E still appeals to me. I love the car, loved it the day it came out, love the idea what Fiat did behind it that I think you got three or five car rentals per year that so that if you needed to go on a long trip or yeah. something, you could they would pay for the car rental. Now it's so tempting. Go on Carvana's site. The cheapest cars on Carvana right now, it seems, are pretty much 500Es. And there's dozens of them always available there. And the nice thing is I can buy one in Alabama. When they first came out, you could only get the things in California. Yeah. Now, of course, yeah. if I buy one in Alabama, I don't know who the heck's going to fix it because I don't know if our local dealers um, trained trained to fix it. I believe our local dealer has had at least one or two through their used car program. Yeah, they have but, us. But the, I mean, they're to me they're great little cars. And I hear, I listen. You know, obviously I listen to a lot of other podcasts. I don't make, you know, I'm not shy about that. And a lot of celebrities, you know, if they aren't into the Tesla, a lot of them have these 500Es in that and absolutely love them. And they don't put tons of miles on them and such, but they're good little solid cars. And I think they're the perfect design of what the Fiat 500 is. And if you were just getting up, going to work, coming home, and you lived a reasonable distance from the office, I think you're fine. I mean, you live in the country. (coughs) Excuse me. Excuse me. I live on the very edge of the city. So they don't quite work for me because it's common for me to put 50 or 60 miles on my car in a day. And I'm sure it is for you. Um, But if I lived downtown Birmingham and I had a job downtown Birmingham, if I lived in the apartment that I used to on the, 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 one of the major arteries in town and worked down the street from them and one of the tech centers. uh, Yeah, it would, it'd be a viable car. You know, if I commute was less than 15 or 20 miles a day, would love to have one. Um, Again, they don't make sense if you're in a park. 30 or 40 mile a day round trip, it could make sense. Anything more than that in that 90, that 90 mile optimum range on that car gets a little sketchy in my mind. 
just because I mean, you you look at optimum ranges on all these EVs, and it's kind of like that is optimum if if everything is perfect as far as the driving conditions, which that rarely happens. So you're gonna you're gonna eat more juice than it than it's saying you you should. I guess I, is that am I putting yeah, that correct? They push the numbers. Yeah, they say they always push the numbers, but. So when I looked at the the Fiat 500, say, and it has a 90-mile range, I took that as a 75, 80-mile range uh, because in a year, I don't expect to get 90 miles out of that battery pack. I know right. I know what happens to my iPhone, you know. Yeah, <laughs> After a year, 100% charge isn't quite the same as 100% charge. So I take that into account. I look, you know, uh, the only car that I've ever heard that uh, lied about their number under it was the uh Tycon. and i think farah drove it drove his drove it, one of his demos with the ac on with the cruise set at 70 miles an hour blah 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 for uh, this huge round trip and whatever it was he drove 172 miles on a 180 mile range or something like that and when he still got back he still had 60 or 70 miles of range left so it far and away you know uh beat the numbers that Porsche was publishing, but I haven't heard necessarily the same for the big T company or even, you know, the volt electric, uh, just when it runs on electric or any of those is that's always, you know, like you said, maximum ideal condition without the air conditioning on, without the heat on, um, you know, hyper miling, perfect temp, and it, all that stuff has to be optimal to, to get max range out of it. And that's rare. Um, the Tycon. That, that again is our. That's our EPA uh, fuel economy too. I mean, uh, it yeah. took me a lot of work to get my fusion up to the twenty eight that the window sticker said. But right before the pandemic happened, I was averaging like twenty eight point one miles per gallon. Even mine. I live two two and a half miles from the interstate. Got on the interstate, drove twenty miles down the interstate, got off the interstate, drove a mile off the interstate for my commute. So it was all interstate driving, 70 miles an hour, 80 miles an hour, and paying attention to the little uh, economy gauge and careful on acceleration and careful on deceleration and, um, you know, just holding a nice consistent speed. So, yeah, you could say it was around town, but a lot of it was interstate. Um, But it took a lot of work. But now that we're in this pandemic thing and I'm running just at, you know, the grocery store or the department store or um Three weeks running up to having a cigar with a buddy. Um, it's uh, I'm down to like 24.6 again. So I said we're getting about two and a half weeks to a tank of gas in both of our cars right now. So it's 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 interesting. Yeah, I'm getting um, I get about two two and a half weeks out of the fusion, and she never goes anywhere. I think I, I've put gas in her car a full tank and a half tank since the pa- pandemic started, and we try to make a concerted effort to at least drive it once a week <laughs> to make sure it gets started and right. you know, kind of, kind of get afraid of the fuel going bad <laughs> sitting in the car. Yeah. I said, she has a hot rod. You got to treat that thing like one. I mean, it's, that's a, that's a, it's a bad little ride. I wonder what would happen if we f- need to fill it up with E85 and see how long that lasts. Now's the time to be running it on E85. <laughs> this gas mileage isn't. What do you have to do to flip the tune? Flip a switch. It's tuned for E85 or uh, 93. Okay. And it's got a it's got a complete E eighty five setup on it. So have you never ran it on the eighty five since you got it? No. 
Oh, it's a different animal, dude. <laughs> it would be a completely different animal. Here's the the danger of that is as happy as that would make you, I can see Zara just going, ooh, I just want to do that all the time. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a big well, fortunately, fortunately, I think to do that, I'm going to have to have the E85 delivered to the house because there's not that many E85 stations left in Birmingham there's, for some reason. There's some around here. There's a couple. There's some. Yeah, there's a <laughs> It's There's like finding old, uh, what is it? Was it a uh, turbo blue racing gas back when I was in high school? Two stations in town had it. Cam two pump at the gas station was that was that was so cool to just pull up and see that. Even if you weren't going to use it, it made me happy. You know, I only live three miles from the airport, or so I wonder if we can run it on a run it on Avgas. <laughs> was it Avgas with a shot of Tecrolene? Was the the hot ticket? Way back when. Uh, what was, I was trying to think of the other little news thing. You know, FCA has also announced the same thing that uh, going back to what kind of the topic was, is that their partnership with Fuja. Now, FCA, again, has pretty much eliminated, every, you know, a cars from there. The Fiat 500 is going away. I still say the Challenger and 300 and Charger are inching their way out because there's really no other cars in that lineup and there's no future development i know you have some different feelings obviously the alphas if they stay around are a little bit tied into the car line but there's you know they sell more of the uh the suv than they do the car right now it's kind of an interesting world and i don't see them developing anything on a car platform a lot of suv stuff and they're going to build their new stuff that's what what the headlines say the first uh puzzle piece to put in Stellantis together is going to be using um, basically Peugeot's small car platform to build cars for FCA now. So again, they're, the partnership's required. I can live with it when it's Toyota and BMW to give us a Supra or potentially the Z4. Not a fan of either, but the only way you can justify doing a two-seat sports car now is you can't do it as a single manufacturer. I mean, it works for the BRZ and it uh, FRS. I mean, we're both we're an old BRZ family. You're an old FRS family. Great little cars. Needed, you know, definitely need a second generation with some performance boost to uh, right. to fit that. The Miata's kind of come up there, and it, you know, it's amazing that Mazda still produces that. But I think it's kind of a, it's kind of to be honest, it's probably their halo car <laughs> gets people in the door or whatever. It's weird that you talk about Miata and use the word aspirational at, at the same time, but it really, it, it is. I mean, the Miata is, it's a sports car destination for a lot of people and it's reasonable. Like you can buy one for reasonable money. Yeah, I think it is an aspirational car. I mean, most families can't have one, but it's the same money as a Harley Davidson. Yeah. It really comes down to it when you get a full dresser Harley do you want to have a bike or do you want to have the two seat sports car? And it's reliable and such. So it's, it's that perfect third car. If you want to have a toy car, you know, two people can fit in it. You can still run to the grocery store with it. That was a downfall of the uh, MR2 spiders. You couldn't put anything in it, but another person, you know, Corvette's way out of the price range for a, a third car for the majority of families. So the, the Miata works for the higher income people to get that third sports car. And then fortunately they run forever. The best selling sports car in the, you know, world of all time. Yeah. You can't kill and them. They're the MGB. They're the MG, MGBs of today.
go out and buy buy one that runs and is in nice shape all day long for four or five grand. Yeah, I got a, a really good friend that I race with who just bought his first NB Miata and uh, autocrossed it a week or two ago for the first time. And he called me immediately and he was like, oh, <laughs> he's like, I, and I mean, he, this guy has uh, a 944 uh, with a the three liter uh, 968 four cylinder in a 944 that is a track day car and a couple other race cars and it's kind of been there done that when it comes to tracks and autocross and his first autocross on a completely bone stock miata with like 900 treadwear tires kool-aid drink <laughs> like he's totally in and that's all it takes man i mean it's just if you are an enthusiast and you drive a miata once you're gonna get it you're just you're, it's gonna make sense and everybody that calls them hairdresser cars stop it just stop it there's so much fun i don't quite be- i kind of believe the saying but you really got to analyze it you know it's much more fun to drive a slow car fast than a fast car slow yep. but the problem is driving fast ass can be damn damn scary and you really can't do it in the open environment or a Miata, you get on your backcountry road or just a little bit of twisties. It's fun at 45 and 60 miles an hour. A Ferrari 488 is never fun at 45 or 60 miles an hour. I mean, no, it's, I mean, you're, you're not even approaching. Yeah. I, yeah. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Everything in the Porsche lineup, even the Boxster and the Cayman, I mean, you, those cars are capable of such speed with so little drama that like even at, at, at the dragon um, the dragon is low speed, but it's, it's low speed, high performance. It's like an autocross and like in, in my alpha it's fun, but the alpha is kind of like that chassis so good. It's like, I really want to be going 70, not 35. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Yeah. I, I get it. And the Miata at the Dragon or like a Fiat 500 or a Mini Cooper or something along those lines at the Dragon, it's perfect. It's just perfect. Because you can just ring them, just wind them out, and you're not really breaking the speed limit, but you're having a blast. I think that's why Miata's at the Dragon's one of the largest meets, and the same with the Minis at the Dragon. Um, yeah. I mean, it's another car that... You can have a lot of fun with in the base configuration. And now if you've got, what, 60 or 80 grand to dump on one and get the John Cooper Works GP or whatever. Are they? They're not. You can have something. Are they they really? Oh, I've got a friend that bought a John Cooper's Works with everything on it two years ago. And it was pushing 50 grand. So I've got to think the GP has got to be pushing 60 or 70. It's a wonderful and car, it, but it's not a $60,000 car. It's a lot of things not. I'd rather have for 60k. <laughs> it's not a $60,000 car. You can buy a really yeah, fine, buy, I mean you can get Devora for 60k. At, okay. Uh you can get uh, you can get into a 12 or a 13, so that's not too bad. I mean, you can get yeah. into an Elise all day long. You can get one for, you know, get one for Saturday and one for Sunday. Right. But I finally got around to editing an episode we recorded back in May and it's going to get out here the next couple of weeks. We talked about building a whole car collection for 50 grand. Yeah. <laughs> you can have a mini or you can have a car collection. You know, it's uh, you know, five or six decent cars that'll do everything you want them to, which I think Miata made my list. Might've made yours too. But 
I, I'm if it didn't, it had to be really close. I mean, the, the mini that we had, we paid fifteen grand for that car, and it was it literally is in the top five best cars I've ever owned in my mind. Like I loved that car so much. I'd have another. I'd I'd have another mini in a heartbeat. But I'm weird. I'd have another Fiat 500 and a heartbeat too. And that car hated me. Now, I'll, say, I'll be still, honest. I still liked it. I never caught. Now, granted, the Mini we had was an automatic, but it just never, just never sat well with me. Uh, the, the, again, it just, just didn't work. Uh, the, the Fiat, Fiat or, actually. The Fiat or the Mini? The, the Mini. I actually preferred the Fiat over the Mini. Uh, really. It, you know, we ergonomically, you preferred the Fiat. I preferred the Fiat over, the, yeah, definitely over the Mini. I just never the the Mini always felt like a big car to me. You know, I'm one of these weird people that'll say that it felt like a big car. The Fiat felt small. You know, and the the and we're I'm not talking this new redesigned balloon Mini. Um, you you had an 05 or something, didn't you? Had no, we had, no had a. Yeah, I had no two. Oh, two. I had, I had the we first had a came. we had a thirteen. We had the last year of really that that body style before they started to grow, and it. I never had a desire to go out and drive that car. Um, to man, to be honest, I almost avoided driving that car. <laughs> but wow, uh, the BRZ was different. I didn't mind driving it. You know, it's it was always set up for Zara because it was her car. But to get in it and drive it, I, you know, I could almost have fun in it right away. And so it wasn't the fact it was somebody else's, you know, my, my partner's car. It was just, I didn't quite like it. To each his own. That's why there's, what, 300 different cars on the market right now with each <laughs> yeah. with a slightly yeah. different. <laughs> I enjoyed the FRS. I definitely enjoyed the FRS. It was, it was a fun car. And, I mean, the BRZ is the same damn thing. So they were fun cars. But I don't think the FRS and the BRZ are as much fun as a Miata, even though they're built going after the same exact crowd. I think the Miata is still – it's just got an edge, and I don't know why. It's, it's intangible almost. Uh, in my world and the way I like cars, I would probably like the BRZ FRS just as much as the Miata if the top came off. And that to me, you know, to me, that's what makes a sports car. Yes, it makes a flip, flippy, floppy, twisty noodle around corners. But that that's, you know, the Miata handles great, but the, the roof comes off and you can be at nature. The BRZ tight and confining and um, handle, you know, handles well, ha probably handles as well, you know, as well as my Boxster, if not potentially better than it. You just can't push it as hard. It just, I don't know. I, I guess I'm always been a convertible guy, and I know you're not a convertible guy. So I'm just that's, not. that's my I'm my my not. difference in that. I, Go ahead. I don't like the mini convertible either, and it's oh, going yeah. away from what I understand. So I had just I got had a bad taste for convertibles put in my mouth by Fox Body Mustang convertibles. They were terrible. The cow shake that those things had, like I've never in my life felt a car vibrate the way a Fox body convertible without subframe connectors and some, some other reinforcement underneath and, and even shock towers and stuff like that. You have to tie those cars together or I had one and it would literally on the interstate make me nauseous. It was that bad. Like at 70 mile an hour 
the car felt like it was going to torque itself in half. It was terrible until we oh, got see, the super subs and all that stuff in it. Uh, my brother and I both had Fox body convertibles and I, I never had a problem with it. He never, I had a 89 and he had a 93. Uh, so kind of first and last of the, uh, what do you want to call them? Single eye cars or whatever. Yeah. I had a triple white. It was a spring edition or whatever it was that they called it. I like the triple white and they had the, uh, they had the yellow that went along with it. And it was the yellow yeah. exterior with white interior, white top and, and, and red, uh, I think they had the red, yellow. It, and the- it was a reddish orange. Yeah. But then again, I grew up with all my formative years. We had, you know, we had an 84 Chrysler, well, Dodge 600 ES turbo convertible. We had an 87 LeBaron convertible. So when I started being exposed to compute convertibles, when I was 12 years old, it was um, not, they weren't exactly the most uh, solid cars either. I've always been used to a little bit of that waviness. And my mom had cabriolets when I was like, after I got my driver's license, my mom got into this phase where she had like, three vw cabriolets in a row and they were cool they were actually fun like as a convertible goes i enjoy like i would literally go out on a friday or saturday night and i would leave my camaro or one of my mustangs at home and i'd just look at my mom i'm gonna take your car (laughs) because i'd just go out and grab two or three friends and we'd pop the top down and and roll around the area that we lived in or go down to the beach and cruise up and down the strip with the top down and it was fun. I, I, those are cool cars, but well, they had the roll hoop in them or whatever you want to say to help tie them together. It's kind of like, you know, the the PT cruiser did it maintain that roll hoop because cut the roof off a PT cruiser. There's nothing left. Right. Um, I had the Lotus Elan, but that, you know, that was designed ground up as a convertible. So the, the Elan M100, not like the, uh, uh, that was at the beginning of this video. If, this actually gets out in video. I have never driven an Elan, the, the front wheel drive one. I, I've never driven one. I, I just, they I, look cool. There was somebody on, I don't know if it was Radwood or Obscure Cars or something said, I'm looking for, and he listed all these criteria. And I said, this is what you want, Elan, Elan M100. And one of his criteria was rear wheel drive. And he said, it's absolutely perfect, except it's front wheel drive. Go drive one. <laughs> it's, it's still... At the time, it was the best handling front-wheel drive car ever sold, and it still might be the best handling front-wheel drive car ever sold. Um, I don't know what Lotus did and Lotus Engineering did, but that's what they're supposed to do. And it is it is just a great car, even though it, it, it's front-wheel drive. And that's going to be why it stays on the low end of the collectible scale. If they would have made that rear-wheel drive or all-wheel drive, which the car was actually set up if it would have stayed in production, there was supposed to be a two plus two version and there was supposed to be an all wheel drive version. Uh, the rear suspension is actually taken straight out of the Isuzu. Um, I want to say impulse impulse yeah. with, with uh, the all all wheel drive impulse. So I think if somebody really had 10 extra grand or 20 extra grand, they could build an all wheel drive M 100 without that much difficulty. The impulse is cool. I, I'd the impulse is cool. I, I have driven an impulse. My mom actually had an impulse. Whatever the the hot rod version of the impulse was when Lotus designed 
Because I remember it having badges on it that said Lotus Design Suspension or something along those lines. And that, that's back when GM owned uh, or had a controlling interest in um, Azuzu and they owned Lotus. And you had the uh, Impulse that was handling by Lotus and the iMark that was handling by Lotus. That was a cool car. It was it was a really cool car. Like I I wish you'd still see those every once in a while because the interior felt like you were in a fighter plane. Like it it wrapped around you kind of like a third gen RX seven. It you sort of put the car on. You didn't you didn't get into it. You wore it. <laughs> it was it was really cool. Yeah, the only time I ever see them is on the Radwood page, and it's usually when somebody's buying one or when somebody's selling one. You never see it during ownership. You know, they were really weird, interesting little cars. And I, I was a big Lotus fan, or excuse me, obviously a Lotus fan, but a Zuzu fan at the time. And I, the only Azuzu I've ever had is the, um, well, the M100 with the Azuzu motor and the, uh, I had the pickup, obviously. And then wait, the wait, wait, the, the, the M100 had an Azuzu motor in it. I had no idea. I yeah, literally, it's I don't know same, Yeah, it's exactly, it, it's the exact same motor that's in the Impulse. Okay. I mean, it's. Azuzu Mechanicals bolted to the um, uh, Lotus uh, backbone chassis with an, a Lotus, you know, composite body hung on it. So. What did those things weigh? Were they quick, or were they? They, uh, not? It, well, they well, in the time they were kind of quick. You know, zero to sixty and six flat for ninety one. That's not terrible. And and I want to say they were twenty three, twenty six hundred, maybe. Okay. You know they they weren't. They weren't featherweight, but, and, you know, they got killed by the Miata because the Miata basically came out at the same time for half the money and rear wheel yeah. drive and a couple hundred pounds less. And, you know, you can't sell a $40,000 car when you can buy something, honestly, that's probably better. <laughs> right. For half, for the, half money. the money. The last NA Miata we pulled the motor out of and pulled the cylinder head on had 160,000 miles on it. And when we pulled the cylinder head off of it, it was literally like the car had no miles on it. I don't understand what they build those things out of, but that you cannot kill them. They're they're just amazing. They're, the total package on the NAs and NBs is absolutely amazing. Me out. Yeah, I yeah I had the uh, I had a ninety five and no I can't remember I had a ninety five or a. 97 and my brother had the other one um i can't remember which i can't remember which he had or which i had i had you know the white with the tan top and leather interior and he had the dead base and you know black cloth interior black top blue right and you know we both love the love those cars and it's kind of weird how him and i have had the same cars quite often but sometimes he beats me sometimes i beat him but right what you had one more topic that you wanted to go into i can't remember what it was Oh, I was just going to slip in since we were talking General Motors that in this whole new dashboard war, um, get dashboard real estate, and it relates back to podcasting. Uh, General Motors announced yesterday, I want to say. Um, I don't know what day this came out. Maybe it was on the 1st, on Tuesday, um, that radio.com is going to be a standard default on their uh, infotainment systems now. And that's, you know, it's kind of like a Pandora, kind of like a Spotify and that, but they're designed to, they carry a ton of podcasts too. So it's a, it's a neat thing. And it's another way that you can, you know, directly listen, listen to no driving gloves or any of our other podcasts 
or any of your podcasts that you want to hear. We can go ahead and hang it up, and I can play the outro. And If you want to go ahead and hang it up, that's fine. I just want to go ahead and mention that if anyone anywhere near the Birmingham, Alabama area is going to take delivery of a uh, Gordon Murray designed T50, uh, I would very much like to drive it. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there and end it on that. Um, <laughs> good Lord, that car. We need to talk about that car. That's that's a significant hyper car. That's, we'll, we'll talk about that on a later episode. I haven't spent much time with it. Um, about the only stuff I've read is the um, take on how that should have been the Lotus Ajiva. I guess. Maybe there would have been. I, I guess, <laughs> guess Gordon was a little too... Uh, expensive for lotus or vice versa but it would have been kind of cool to see him come back and do something with lotus or but yeah that i guess like you said if somebody around town gets one whether they uh buy it let, acquire it steal it don't care give us a call we'll yeah, drive it let us, let us crawl around that thing um that's it's epic it is epic it the power to weight ratio is like half um i'm sorry however you want to put it the power to weight is twice as good as, uh, let's see here, an Aventador, uh, the Ferrari 812. Um, it's 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 in a league that I don't think there's anything else in it, really. I, I, I just can't wait to see this thing hit racetracks, and they're building a race version of it, too. Yay. Um, on that note, <laughs> we can wrap it up if you want. Okay, with that. We'll talk to everybody the next time. Hopefully we get back onto our regular release schedule. Thank you for bearing with us. Talk to everyone later. Thank you for listening, and remember to look us up at nodriving.gloves.com. There you can find back episodes, links to products we recommend, and links to all of our social media. Be sure to tell a friend about us. No Driving Gloves is edited and produced by J. Lewis Productions. <laughs>